Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes that we've been going through? If you were in my study this week when I was preparing and looking at John MacArthur's book on the chapter on being merciful, it caught my attention very quickly that he said, I could write the whole book on this beatitude. And then I decided I'm going to look at the length of his chapter, and it's definitely the longest chapter in his book. I think he could have written the whole message or the whole book on being merciful. And I was sitting there thinking, how am I going to do this in one message? Should I make it two parts or three? And then as someone reminded me this morning, mercy came into view. And I decided, nope. I'm going to do it just in one. But it is a powerful subject. This is the fifth of what most see, at least in Matthew chapter 5, as eight of the Beatitudes. This is number five. And it is interesting to me how the commentators and Bible students look at these eight Beatitudes. There's obviously a connection with one as we go to the next. You start with being poor in spirit. Then you go to mourning over your sin, the sin around you, the sin of the world. Then it comes to meekness, seeing me, you, in light of others around us, of other people. All of these things seem to build one on the other, but there's another relationship here too. It seems that at least that some are finding they find that number five correlates with number one. Six with two, seven with three, eight with four. And I think there's some truth in that as well. They're not only building because the first ones deal with who am I before God? What, what am I? How does he see me? What are my needs? That, that's obviously there. And then it grows to, okay, now how do... I relate to, how does my character relate to the people around me? I'm merciful, I'm a peacemaker, I'm pure in heart, and I suffer, and I'm persecuted for living a righteous life by the world and by my enemies. But let's just stop and think of this second correlation, five with one, being merciful with being poor in spirit. How does that relate? I think it relates this way. If I understand before God that I am a pauper spiritually, that I have absolutely nothing that I can do within my power to make myself pleasing to Him, to make myself right before Him, to remove the condemnation that's over me for my sin. If I understand that, I should not have a problem with treating other sinners the same way he treats me, with mercy. What does he do when I recognize that I am a pauper? He does the same thing that Jesus talked about with the tax gatherer when he looked at himself and he looked at God and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, and God was merciful. And what Jesus is saying is, if you are part of my kingdom 
and you are one of my children in your character, in your innermost being, ever, before you ever get to the action steps, you need to be something different inside. You need, you need to have a character that's like my son's, one that's totally different from everyone else in the world who's not part of me and part of my kingdom. So this one on mercy is extremely important because God has been merciful to us and he has said, since my father has been merciful to you, you must be merciful to the others around you. That's your character. That's the way you're to live and the way you're to be. I don't know about you, but when I chose this series for these months in the summer, I was thinking it would be good for all of us. And I think that's true. But I also think it's been very good for me. Just to do some self-examination. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, what a test of each one of us, of our whole standing and of our profession of the Christian faith. Our Lord is depicting and delineating the Christian man and his character. He is obviously searching us and testing us with the Beatitudes. So how are we reacting to these searching tests and probings? If we dislike this kind of thing, if we are impatient with it, if we dislike this personal analysis and probing, it simply means that our position is entirely contrary to our Lord's. But if I feel that these things cause me to search myself and are painful, yet believe they are essential and good for me in order to be humbled before our Lord, then I have the right to be hopeful about my spiritual condition. So that could be a question right at the beginning. How are you who have been coming these weeks, this is now the sixth week, six weeks into the Beatitudes, how are you handling them? Are you taking them seriously? Are you looking at yourself? Are you reading them and studying them and then looking in the mirror? Are they pleasing to you? Do they motivate you to say, Lord, I want to be more like this? I want to make sure I am like this. Or are they troublesome to you? Do you kind of look at them and go, well, I'm probably doing better than most people, but I don't know that they're all that big a deal. No, they're a big deal. These eight beatitudes, these eight character traits describe what a child of the kingdom is. And if you don't have these character traits, it says something very, very scary to you. And if you're there, all you can do is cry out to God and say, God, I, I'm not there. I'm nowhere close to that. But I want to be, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's the starting place. You see, Martin Lloyd-Jones can say these things because he rightly sees that our Lord Jesus is preaching to his hearers that citizens of the spiritual kingdom that he came to bring must first be concerned with the attitude of their heart. 
What's the attitude of your heart? By the way, your heart is not the pumping organ. Your heart in Scripture primarily refers to your inner man, who you are spiritually. You are both spirit and you are physical. You have a body, but you are a spirit that lives in a body. And the whole issue with the Beatitudes is, what's your heart's attitude? You see, this is what was wrong with the Pharisees. They were doing the outward things. I want you to turn again with me over to Matthew 23. And I want to just see, have, have you see again what the religious leaders in Jesus' days, his days, were concerned with. They were concerned with the outer things. Do I look good in front of people? Am I praying in front of people? Do my coins, when I put in, in the offering box, do they make a loud noise and make me sound and look good? That's what was going on with the Pharisees. Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Being a Christian is not just with doing things outwardly. Being a Christian starts with being someone different in the inner man. It begins with a new birth. And that new birth begins when you cry out to God for what He can only do. You need to be cleansed from within. That's what Martin Lloyd-Jones is talking about. We need to have a different attitude towards God towards ourselves, towards sin, towards righteousness, towards our fellow man. Character comes before our actions. And we're really going to see this in this beatitude this morning. Because when it comes to talking about mercy and being merciful, it starts with an attitude looking at people that are around us in pity and compassion, it, it all starts with this attitude of looking at them and saying, I could be there. They, they need clothes. They need encouragement. They need food. They need the Lord. It all begins from your heart's attitude. And if you have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that he came to die for your sins, and he came to give you life. You don't have any trouble with mercy. You will be merciful to those that are around you. So let's look at this very important beatitude. Number five, which goes back to number one and relates to how I see myself before the Lord once I have seen myself that way, I can, by the power of the Spirit in me, be led to be a merciful individual. So what's the meaning of mercy exactly? First of all, we're going to say this. When Jesus came into this world, in the Roman Empire that he lived, and in Palestine where he preached and where he, he spent his life trying to reach people with the gospel, the world at that time, the Roman Empire, viewed mercy this way. One of the Roman philosophers said, mercy was the disease of the soul, a sign of weakness. 
That's what the Romans said. In Roman culture, the things that they really lifted up and glorified were these. Justice, courage, discipline, and power. The Roman husband, the Roman father, the Roman man who was a citizen of Rome even had something from Roman culture and government called patera potestas. Ever heard of that? It was a right from the government that when his wife bore a child and he was in the room and this child came forth, he had the power in Rome to say, I want that child to live or I don't want that child. I want that child to die. The law gave him that power. Was that merciful? Anything but merciful. But that's the culture that Christ came to. He came to a culture in Palestine where the Jewish leaders were only concerned with outward displays. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, one of the key leaders in Jerusalem, do you remember that conversation? And he said, Nicodemus, you've never heard that you need life? You've never heard about new life? And you're a teacher in Israel? It's all over the Old Testament. It's referred to as oftentimes the circumcision of the heart. Paul used that when speaking to Jews in Romans chapter 2. You Jews are circumcised outside, but you're not circumcised on the inside. You need a new heart. It all begins there, and mercy begins there. So according to scriptures, Jesus came to be merciful and to teach us to be merciful as he is and as he has been. Mercy basically means this. It's a response of compassion and love to those who are in need. It first involves inward sympathy and pity to the specific need, and it's followed by action. It's not just looking at the person that's there that has the need. As the priest did in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he walks by and he sees the need. He might even have felt some compassion, but he crossed over to the other side and kept going. And so did the Levite. You see, being merciful, is, it starts with the inner attitude of pity and compassion and seeing the need, but it moves forward and says, I will help. If you're going to be merciful, there's action that comes, that is involved. So feeling sorry for one in need and not moving to help is not being merciful. In fact, it's not even genuine sorrow. It's not really even genuine sorrow. You have got to have mercy in you that will move you as far as it's possible within you and you can help to reach out to those in need. Now, there's two little peripheral things that I want to mention, and I was asking my wife how to spell this word this morning, peripheral, and she tried to help me. She said, it's only on your paper, you know, no one's going to see it. And I said, you're right, no one's going to see this. 
But there are two peripheral things that we want to talk about when we talk about being merciful. It is also good to pause and compare mercy with grace. What's the difference between mercy and grace? How do we understand one compared to the other? John MacArthur in his book had some good things to say. He says, mercy sees problems and deals with their consequences. Mercy sees someone with a need and then deals with the consequences of their problems, their misery, their pain, their distress. While grace deals with the sin which lies behind the problems. Did you get that? Grace sees the problems and the consequences and begins to come in and aid to relieve and, and help remove the consequences. But grace comes along and deals with that which lies behind the problems. It deals with sin. It deals with the need for righteousness. Grace first provides pardon for the crime and removes the cause, which is our sin. Then mercy provides relief from punishment by eliminating it and its consequences. I like this, which one man said, Richard Linsky, mercy deals in what we see of pain, misery, and distress, the results of sin, while grace deals with sin and the guilt of sin. The one extends relief, the other pardon. The one cures, heals, and helps, while the other cleanses and reinstates. They're partners, but mercy has its own particular aspect. Also, another peripheral thing is, what about mercy and justice? How can you be merciful and still be just? In other words, maybe an illustration would be, you see someone out on the street with a gun, and he shoots someone along the sidewalk and kills them. Are you to be merciful to that guy at that time, or are you to be just and go tackle him and turn him in to the police? What, what is the deal between mercy and justice? Here's the issue, again, when you try to talk about these two. God is both merciful and just. He is merciful to those who cry out to him for help and say, Lord, there's nothing I can do. Be merciful to me. He is merciful, but here's the issue. He's also just. So how can he be merciful to me who has committed sin and much sin and, and overlook that and just bring me in and forgive me? Because he paid the price that justice demanded. He is both just, Paul says in Romans, and the justifier. All because his son became a man like us came to this earth, was persecuted, ridiculed, spit upon, beaten, taken to the cross, and hung there. And while he's there, it's not only the punishment of men, but the Father pours out his wrath for sin, our sin, upon the Son. Justice is met. The price is paid. The God-man bore the punishment. You ever hear preachers talk about what Christ suffered on the cross 
what it was to die like that. It was a horrible death. But what we don't realize is when Jesus cried out to the Father, he was experiencing the wrath of God for every man, every woman, every child that he's brought into the kingdom. He paid the price. Justice was met. All the justice that needed to be done. There's no problem with being merciful and just. Certainly not for God. But now let's get back to talking about mercy in everyday life in relationship to men because that's where we're required to exercise our mercy, to be merciful. God is merciful and he requires all of us, his children, to be the same. Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So this mercy required of men primarily involves helping those in need in the physical realm for, the, for us, primarily. It also involves us living a godly life, taking the gospel and sharing it, praying with people, taking the scriptures and teaching them. So the, there's spiritual aspects to that mercy. But primarily for us, it is in the realm of the physical. It includes such things as weeping with those that weep, with a knowledge of why they're weeping in an effort to help them, it includes forgiving someone of hurt or pain which they have caused you. Not just someone else, but for which they have caused you. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 talks about this very thing. He says, you are to forgive and I will forgive you. Just as you forgive, you will be forgiven in the Sermon on the Mount. And also, Jesus displays an attitude of forgiveness even when people aren't coming in repentance when he's on the cross. What does he say? Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. So even when they haven't repented, there's at least the attitude of Jesus to say, Father, be merciful to them. Forgive them. Do you remember also Stephen when he was dying? Rocks were being hurled at him. He's being crushed by their force. And he's calling out to God saying, Lord, don't count this sin against them. What's he showing? He's showing a heart of mercy because God has been merciful to him. It could also include things like our moving in mercy, offering comfort, encouragement, a shoulder to lean on, giving food to eat when there is no food or clothing to wear, visiting those who are in jail, those who need shelter, offering them shelter. Being merciful can include all of this. It can see man in his needs with his problems and the consequences of, of those problems and going to help him get out of that and get rid of the consequences. All of these kinds of things, depending on your ability to provide. It can also refer to that spiritual help, which I mentioned earlier. We can see someone who, whose greatest need is to know Christ, a neighbor, a friend at work, 
and go to them and talk to them. I have a friend that I graduated from college with when I was at Virginia Tech and those days you had to be in the cadet corps there. It's kind of like Texas A&M. You had to be in the cadet corps for two years if you were physically able. So there was a cadet campus and a civilian campus. And this friend of mine, when I was a junior, was a senior and he was captain of our squadron in the cadet corps. But I have never seen anyone in my lifetime that's more outward and living in such a way that he just exudes the gospel everywhere he goes. If he goes to the hospital because he's sick, he's communicating the gospel to the nurse or to the doctor or to anyone that he might see. He is constantly concerned about people coming to Christ. When I talked to him, he said, I had the privilege just this last month of, of, of sharing the gospel with 21 people and 10 of them came to know the Lord. And I go, Phil, that's great. That can be part of showing mercy, the greatest mercy that could be shown. Because you can help with the physical needs in this life, but what you need to know is if you haven't helped them hear the gospel, your mercy has stopped short. In relationship to the Godhead, both are seen too, both spiritual primarily. Christ came to die, to redeem men, but also when Christ is here, what is he doing? healing those with blind eyes. He is ministering to the beggars because the money that they carried around with them, they helped people in need. He's raising up the dead. He's being merciful in all kinds of physical ways and he's saying, follow my example. Well, to whom is this mercy to be shown? Who is it? is it? Is it just brothers and sisters in Christ that we're concerned about here? No. The scripture says, do good to all men. All men. Both believer and unbeliever, but especially to the household of faith. When you exercise mercy, you have a primary relationship to the body of Christ. Those that are here this morning that you know have needs, but you have an even larger responsibility to the unsaved world. The one you see on the corner. The one you see because you just happen to go by a place and you see someone in need that's begging for help. Obviously, in some of those cases, you might want to find out what really is going on. But we need to be open to everyone. Everyone. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall hate, excuse me, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are also to be perfect as your heavenly father 
is perfect. We have a responsibility, folks, because we were one of them, weren't we? Even to the unbelieving world around us to show the mercy of our Lord and then tell them the reason I'm showing you this mercy is because of the mercy that he has shown me. Then you can witness right along with your helping with the physical issues and the physical problems. We are to be merciful to all. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament, how he treated his brothers? When they sold him into slavery, got rid of him, told the father that he was dead, and he loved them because of God's love. And he ministered to them and poured out mercy because of Christ. Abraham, what did he do with Lot when Lot just kind of used him and took what he thought was the best land? When Lot was captive, what did Abraham do? He arms his men and he goes and shows mercy and delivers Lot from captivity. Even when it comes to the spiritual things, Augustine wrote this, if I weep for the body from which the soul has departed, should I not weep for the soul from which God has departed? So we are to even pray for the lost, weep for them, and show them mercy. Bishop Augustine wrote that hundreds of years ago. Now, obviously, as said, I said earlier, mercy for us is going to be shown largely in the physical arena. We can't bring someone to Christ. We can share the gospel, but we're going to be ministering in the physical arena. When you look at Acts chapter 4, what do you see there in the days of the early church in verse 32 and 37? What you see is the people who had possessions and, the, and the, believer, the believing family was being formed, and those with money and those with property sold it and took the money and gave it to the apostles so that all would have food and all would be clothed. Ministering in the physical thing. If that's not strong enough, it's very interesting in Matthew 25 when Jesus is talking about just before he goes to the cross, he's giving the illustration of the time in heaven when the judgment day will occur. And he said, there will be sheep and goats that come before me. Let's just turn there for a minute. I want you to see this in terms, again, of the importance on the judgment day of how we have been merciful in terms of physical things. Verse 34 of Matthew 25, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, 
to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. You know what's interesting to me about that whole story? Is that the illustration between the righteous and the unrighteous is who was merciful? Who showed mercy in the physical arena? Who helped those who were in prison? Who gave food to the, those who didn't have any? Who clothed those who were without clothing? It was you. You did it to me. When you did it to them, you did it to me. Isn't that interesting? That that is so important that he brings it up on the day of judgment. But he says it again to the Pharisees, doesn't he? You do these things, these little small outward things, but you leave out justice and mercy and faithfulness. You know, one of the reasons that people are not merciful besides the fact that they're lost and they can't be without spiritual help is because life is about them. And mercy involves giving up something of myself, my time, my possessions, what I have to reach out to those that are in need. That's mercy. Now, obviously, as I said earlier, the mercy that we show to men, saved or unsaved, is primarily in the physical arena. But we should also be sharing the gospel. I think it's probably time that I looked at my watch because I want to make sure I'm not following John MacArthur's illustration here. So we're winding up. Here's the third thing, real quickly. What is the promise given for being merciful? It's you will receive mercy. You shall. It's future. You who are merciful, not only are you blessed and joyful and really happy, really happy, but you will receive mercy. First of all, I would say it seems to refer to mercy that we will receive in this life, in the future, from others when we are in need. What about Paul when he's in prison and he writes about the house of Onesiphorus? He says he's going to receive such mercy on that day. Because he showed mercy to me when no one else would come. When I was in, Roman, in Rome and in prison, he came and he brought food and he brought encouragement. He is going to receive such mercy on that final day. Secondly, it also would involve the final bestowal of mercy on judgment day. For instance, Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And I was just quoting from 2 Timothy when I talked about Paul saying, on that day, he will receive such mercy. So the promise, the reward is, you who are merciful will receive mercy all the way through your life. There will be, I'll be sending people, I'll be merciful to you, and you will receive the ultimate mercy on that day when he comes back and all the problems are removed. Finally, do our acts of mercy earn God's mercy? Is that what the Bible is teaching? That if we're merciful, 
He will be merciful to us, but if we're not, no. Listen to this first sentence real carefully. The answer to this question is an emphatic no. We don't earn his mercy by showing mercy. We can't do that. We were dead in our sins. The scripture says, Paul says, unbelievers don't, the natural man does not even understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. When you're witnessing to someone, it's foolishness unless the Spirit is accompanying you and speaking to their heart. Then they will hear because God is opening up them to understand what you are saying. And you need to pray for that when you witness, that God will come along and God will speak. It is not conditioned by anything that we do in terms of our works earning his mercy. We begin by saying, Lord, there's nothing I can do. Do you remember these passages, Philippians uh, chapter 2 and 12 and 13? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can't do anything for God unless he's working in us. We can't even put our faith in him until his mercy has become our own. And he's brought life into our hearts. The Lord is not saying you earn his mercy by doing mercy. What he is saying is if your, his mercy has reached you and changed you, you will be merciful. You can't help but be. If someone is not merciful, if someone is not reaching out, in acts of mercy to others, it reveals something about his inner condition. It reveals that he needs life. It reveals that he needs a new heart that only God can give. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on to say what? But we have been saved unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. It's all of God. That's why we need to examine our hearts in light of these beatitudes. Am I meek? Am I grieving over sin? Do I understand that I am nothing and I have nothing to offer God? Am I a peacemaker? Am I pure in heart? If these things are not going on, this is a problem. A story is told of John Wesley when he was in Georgia and Governor Oglethorpe was in charge of that particular state at the time. And John Wesley knew of a slave that had stolen some wine and then consumed it. And John Wesley had been trying to reach out to this man. And he went to Governor Oglethorpe and he said, would you show mercy to this guy? Don't, don't, don't pour it all out on him. Show him some mercy. He was a man in need. He did wrong, but show him some mercy. 
And Governor Oglethorpe said something like this. I'm a man of vengeance. I'm a man of justice. And John Wesley looked at him and he said, Governor Oglethorpe, the only thing I can say to you is I hope you've never committed a sin in your life. You see what he's saying? Governor Oglethorpe was a sinner too. And if he was going to rightly know God and receive his mercy, he had to admit that. That even in spite of his life. Look at the Apostle Paul. He's killing Christians. He's standing there holding their coats while Stephen is being stormed. He's on the road to Damascus to go do more harm, to lock up Christians or kill them. And the mercy of God on the Damascus road reaches Paul and turns his life around. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, a Christian is something before he does something. We've got it all backwards. We think you do something and you become a Christian. No, you do nothing. A Christian is something before he does something, and he's something because of God's grace. John MacArthur says something very similar. Right actions spring from right character. Christianity happens at the center of our being and then flows out to all the activities of life. We must be changed. We must see ourselves as God sees us and cry out for his mercy and his grace. And then we will be merciful. Is that something you desire? Is that something that's on your heart? God, do you wake up in the morning saying, God, I want to reach out to people. I want to show them your mercy that you've shown me. I want to know what their need is. And I, by your grace, I want to help. Mercy flows out of love. And out of mercy flows forgiveness. We forgive people even people that have hurt us. Because Christ, looking at us in our sin, in our need, has forgiven everything that we've ever done. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Is that you? Is that your heart? that where you're coming from? If not, it's time to get before God. Maybe you are a Christian, but maybe you haven't thought of this much and cry out to God and say, God, thank you for being merciful to me, the sinner. I want to be merciful as Christ was to me. Cry out to him for that motivation, that power, the ability care. And it could be that it reveals what you need to cry out to God for is to say, be merciful to me, the sinner, because I am lost and undone and have nothing.
You see why John MacArthur could have written a whole book on this thing? You're just getting it in one sermon. I hope you are loving the Beatitudes. I hope you're digging into them. Those eight Beatitudes about Christian character are some of the most important things you will ever look at in the Bible. And then look in the mirror and ask yourself, is that me? Am I like that? It's very important. Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for all that are here that you would speak to us, that you would change our hearts, that you would make us merciful to be concerned about the people around us, what they're going through and how we can help. We want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you this morning that you sent him and you met the demands of justice in order that you could be merciful to us. We will never in all eternity stop praising you for so great salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.